Hey everyone, welcome to season three, episode five of the Right Words podcast. I am Hayley Walsh, your host, author of Lighthearted Fiction, and as always, I'm coming to you from Darug country in far western Sydney at the base of the beautiful Blue Mountains. Well, here we are at our one and only Goodreads episode for the season. Our Goodreads episodes are both bite-sized and a nice change of pace. I'll be sharing three book reviews of some of my favourite reads of the year so far. These books include The Cornish Vintage Dress Shop, a cosy romance by Elizabeth Holland, Time of My Life, a brilliant memoir by Aussie music broadcasting legend Miff Warhurst, and Terms of Inheritance, a great family drama by debut author Michelle Upton. Now, the author of the Cornish Vintage Dress Shop drops in to share a book review, along with Aussie author Maria P. Frino and English author Andrew White. Michelle Upton also drops in to talk about the inspiration for Terms of Inheritance and shares a reading from the book. I'll be sure to include the link to all the books being reviewed in the show notes. So go and put the kettle on, sit back and have a listen. You might just discover your next great read. This is my review of Terms of Inheritance by Michelle Upton. What do you get when you have four very different sisters, a millionaire tycoon mother who is dying, and four very different Terms of Inheritance? A fantastic read. Michelle Upton's debut novel tells the story of four sisters, each with all very different lives, all with their own complex relationship with their mother, Jackie. The four sisters find out that they will have to work to receive their inheritance from their mother. None of the sisters are exactly thrilled to receive their terms of inheritance. There is also a catch. All of them must complete their tasks set by their mother successfully within the set time frame, or no one receives anything at all. And if they fail, all the money goes to charity. Isla must discover who she is deep down without her money or wild success. Rose must realise her dream of publishing a children's book. Mel must complete a gruelling marathon. And Jess must show she can remain in a committed relationship for more than three months. The girls need to work together and support each other in order to achieve their tasks, with many entertaining bumps along the way for the reader. Many life lessons and soul searching follows, not only for the sisters, but for their mother too. This book explores the themes of complex family dynamics, a mother's love for her children and personal development. It tells the reader that we all need to step out of our comfort zone from time to time to experience personal growth. The story is engaging and kept me turning the pages. The characters are well developed and the reader gets to join them on their journey of self-discovery. There is also a delightful dash of humour, which I'm a big fan of. The side characters are also well developed. Jackie's best friend and confidant to the girls was my favourite character in the story and played a pivotal role in all of their journeys throughout the book. What a cracker of a debut novel. Do yourself a favour and grab a copy. And of course, I give it five stars. my review of Time of My Life by Miff Warhurst. This open, honest, funny and at times heartbreaking memoir by Australian music broadcasting legend Miff Warhurst is an absolute joy to read. Now most Australians know and love Miff from watching her on the iconic music trivia show Spicks and Specs, hosting the Australian broadcast of Eurovision or her time on I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. 
She shares the story of her life both personally and professionally growing up in rural Victoria, all with her love of all things music as the backdrop. I am the same age as Miff, give or take a couple of years, and we Generation Xs are pretty damn awesome if you ask me. Who doesn't remember sitting cross-legged on the floor as a kid watching Countdown or Young Talent Time on TV? Miff talks about going from a wide-eyed young music fan living in the country to growing up and rubbing shoulders with her idols. Now, although I grew up in the city of Sydney and not the country like Miff, this book was a nostalgic trip down memory lane for me. I discovered I had a few things in common with Miff, including my love for Olivia Newton-John and her music and the iconic 80s Australian TV show, A Country Practice. Now, I work as a nurse in my day job and growing up, quite frankly, Matron Sloan was kind of my hero. And while we're on the topic of classic TV shows, who could forget The Love Boat? Miff, if you were the cruise director, I would happily be part of your entertainment staff. What a great time we would have. Move over, Julie. I'm sure Captain Steubing wouldn't mind. Miff shares her happy memories of her time working for the ABC, getting to host the Eurovision broadcast with the amazing Joel Creasy and cringe-worthy tales from her time on I'm a Celebrity, warts and all. She also shares some heartbreaking stories, including losing the love of her life, struggling through the long Melbourne COVID lockdowns and being cruelly shamed for what she was wearing on the red carpet. A timely reminder for us all to always be kind. Miss upbeat and positive attitude to life shines through on every page of this book. She is such a happy-go-lucky person, despite some of the challenges life has thrown her way. I'm also a huge fan of her podcast, Bang On, co-hosted with the fabulous Zan Rowe. You can tell these two lovelies are good mates, and as a listener, you feel they are also your friend. I love being part of the Bang Fam, as the ladies like to refer to their listeners. I love the fact that every chapter of the book's title is a song or genre of music that ties in perfectly. I have long been a fan of Myths, and it was lovely to gain an insight into Myth the person, not just Myth the celebrity. And of course, I give it five stars. This is my review of the Cornish Vintage Dress Shop by Elizabeth Holland. This is the fourth book I have read by the author, and she keeps bringing me so much joy with her uplifting stories. In this book, we meet Rosie, lover of all things vintage fashion. After discovering infidelity in her relationship, she flees her life in London and escapes to Cornwall to a cosy little village by the sea. Here she achieves her dream of opening up her very own vintage dress shop, makes new friends and quickly feels right at home where she feels she truly belongs. However, behind her newfound happiness lies a damaged woman with major trust issues. During her painful divorce, she meets handsome stranger Matt when he lands on her doorstep to donate some clothes after losing his mother. The two are instantly drawn to each other, but Rosie must try to keep her distance as she can't afford to get hurt again. She throws herself into the shop, enjoys quality time with her family when they come to visit, and spends fun nights at the local pub with her friends, all while a tug of war goes on with her heart. Can she really afford to let this man in, or will it all end in tears? Rosie then discovers Matt is still in contact with his ex, who is clearly unhinged. She lets go of an old friendship that she has outgrown back in London, and opens her heart to love despite the risks. Ultimately, this is a story about learning to trust again. The, support, the supporting characters are a delight, especially Rosie's friends in the village who provide her never-ending love and support without judgment. We meet Rosie's wonderful family and in her mother, discover where she gets her love of everything vintage, 
The descriptions of the quaint little village by the sea are beautiful, and this book will leave you feeling warm and fuzzy to the very core. And of course, I give it five stars. Elizabeth Holland, author of the Cornish Vintage Dress Shop and other escapism romance books which allow you to escape your everyday life from the comfort of your own chair. Today I'll be reviewing a cosy mystery aptly called Mystery at the Black Cat Club by Jan Jones. This is the third book in the Smoke and Mirrors books and I absolutely love them, so much so that I woke up early to finish the last 20% of this book. Book three is just as fantastic as the previous two, but we get to spend more time with our favourite couple now they're engaged. The series is set in the 1920s and is a cosy historical mystery. Lucy Brown, author, temporary typist and detective, begins the book as a typist at an architect firm in London. Her detective fiancé, Jack, is ready for a new adventure and his digging leads him to the Black Cat Club. The happy couple scope out the club and discover many secrets. When one of their visits to the club ends in murder, they find there's a very tangled web of lies and deceit. This is another fantastic book in the series with a mystery that unravels perfectly and a little bit of romance between the characters. And I'm really looking forward to book four, so I would really recommend that you start at the beginning of this series and devour each one of them. Hello everybody, I'm Andrew White and I'm a writer, filmmaker and broadcaster from Yorkshire, England. Since 2016 I've been presenting and producing a TV series called Walks Around Britain, which is available on Prime Video and is also broadcast on several TV channels around the world. But my latest project is a light-hearted, feel-good, sapphic crime mystery series called The Walker Mysteries. The stories centre around a young, sassy, sexy and sarcastic Detective Chief Inspector, Charlotte Walker, her faithful Border Collie dog and friend, Bronte, and the new detective constable, Aisha Stoker. The first story was released in 2022, called A New World, and I'm currently writing the next four books in the series. But in 2023, I asked the voice artist who was performing the audiobook version of A New World, Sally Smith, whether she'd like to do some short monologues which we could make as a podcast, which would feature Charlotte talking to the listener about an investigation she'd been working on. So we've been making a podcast series of them, which you can find by searching for The Walker Mysteries on your favourite podcast app. The book I'm reviewing here is one that I've read several times before. It's called The Eight Doctors, and it's from the British sci-fi series Doctor Who, which I've been a fan of for as long as I can remember, starting with the classic series and continuing into the current modern series. The classic series ended in 1989, but in 1996 a special TV movie was made featuring Paul McGann as the Eighth Doctor. The film was intended to be a relaunch of the series, but that never happened, so the book division of the BBC developed a series of new novels featuring this new Doctor, Doctor Number 8, and The Eight Doctors was the first in that series of books. It's always important to start an intended series with a strong story, and for this first book, the editors went to someone Doctor Who fans knew very well, Terence Dix, who was the script editor of the classic series during the 1970s, and who was the writer of many stories deemed by fans to be amongst the best in the series. 
So there's a tradition in Doctor Who that occasionally there's a story where the current Doctor meets some of his or her previous incarnations, and this book takes that premise and has the Eighth Doctor developing amnesia and needing to go on a quest meeting his previous selves in order to recover his memories. Being so steeped in Doctor Who, Terence Dix delivers a crossover story involving all seven previous Doctors at that point, skillfully weaving the Eighth Doctor's meetings with his previous selves into the timeline established by the stories in the TV series. The encounter between the Eighth and the Fifth Doctor takes place shortly after the TV story The Five Doctors, which Dix himself wrote some 14 years before. The plot is complex and at some points threatens to become wayward, with eight distinct Doctors to include, but Dix just manages to steer the ship through those choppy waters. As anyone who's watched the series will know, each of the Doctors have their own distinct personality and way of speaking, and Dix handles this beautifully. You are in no doubt as to which Doctor is which. Because of the nature of the story, there's plenty to interest diehard fans, including the return to Coal Hill School, which was the school the first Doctor's granddaughter attended in the very first episode back in 1963. Classic monsters are woven into the meetings of the various Doctors with the Eighth Doctor, and Dix isn't afraid to substantially remedy what he saw as inconsistencies between different stories in the classic era. And because the author is fully understanding of the character of the Doctor, there's plenty of humour throughout the story too. Overall, it's a great romp through the backstory of the Doctor, and provides an understandable and suitable introduction into the Eighth Doctor's adventures by highlighting the new Doctor's unique qualities whilst carrying on the legacy of his predecessors. I'm Maria P. Frino, and thanks to Haley for allowing me to review this wonderful book. It's called Perfectly Ordinary People by Nick Alexander, and it's historical fiction, um, and I wasn't expecting what actually happened. I didn't know this part of the war, and it always amazes me how many awful stories come out of World War I and World War II. The cruel cruelty, the betrayals, and the inhumanity. The title of this book captures the story well. It is a story of ordinary people caught in extraordinary circumstances. The only reason I gave it four stars is it took me a bit to get into what was happening. It only took a few chapters after that, and then I was hooked. Beautifully written, and we must keep telling these stories to ensure that these horrors don't ever happen again. Thanks for listening. I'm Maria P. Frino, author and editor. Hi. My name's Michelle Upton, and before I start, I'd like to acknowledge the Kwandamooka people and the Kwandamooka country on which my novel, Terms of Inheritance, was written, and is where I'm currently making this recording. My path to publication came after spending close to a decade writing novels and short stories and learning as much as I could about the craft of writing. In 2021, 
I entered Terms of Inheritance into the Banjo Prize, a free competition for unpublished manuscripts run by HarperCollins Australia. To my utter delight, I got shortlisted and two weeks later, HarperCollins called to say they loved Terms of Inheritance so much they wanted to publish it. So what's my novel about? Terms of Inheritance is a drama comedy set in Queensland on the stunning Gold Coast and the beautiful Redlands Coast, which is where I live. It's about a dying multimillionaire, Jackie Turner, who is considered to be the epitome of success in the business world. But when it comes to being a mother, she believes she could have done a better job. And so, rather than letting her four adult daughters automatically inherit her vast fortune, she sets each of them one task that she believes will help them to become better versions of themselves. Exhausted mother of three, Rose, must write and publish a children's picture book. Exercise hater Mel must run the Gold Coast Marathon. Isla, the eldest and richest of the sisters, must figure out who she is beyond her wealth and status. And commitment phobic Jess must stay in a relationship for longer than three months. But if any of them fail, they all fail and their entire inheritance goes to the Aussie Animal Rescue. Having run the Gold Coast Marathon myself, being a mother and a writer, and then taking time to reflect on who it is I want to be in the world after I lost my dad to cancer 15 years ago, I know how hard it's gonna be for these sisters to complete their tasks. I actually came up with the idea for Terms of Inheritance while I was out on a run. Running is always so hard, even when you do it all the time like me. But I got to thinking, what if you hated running but were forced to run a marathon? And I thought, well, under what circumstances would that happen? And that's when I thought, what if you had to run a marathon in order to get your inheritance? And that was where the start of the idea for this novel came from. The high concept premise of Terms of Inheritance gives the reader plenty of fun and games while exploring the dysfunctional family and the mother, daughter and sibling relationship. It also looks at what it means to step out of your comfort zone. Hayley has kindly asked me to read a short extract of the book, but I'll start by saying that the fabulous Annabelle Tudor, a wonderful Melbourne actress, does a fantastic job of narrating Terms of Inheritance on the audio version. I emigrated to Australia 17 years ago when I was 25 and my Birmingham Brummy accent is sticking. So for some great Aussie narration, be sure to check out the audio version of Terms of Inheritance. The reading I'm going to do comes at the very start of the novel, so there'll be no spoilers. And all I need to tell you is that 40-year-old Rose, one of the daughters of the famous Jackie Turner, has been summoned to her mother's mansion in the Sovereign Islands, along with her three sisters, after Jackie called an emergency family meeting. Rose is reluctant to attend because she hasn't spoken to her mother for the last three years. Stealing herself, Rose headed out towards the grand white pillars that framed the oversized swimming pool, spa and outdoor lounge area that overlooked the water and her mother's luxury yacht. Rose's three sisters were standing under the tall palm trees in the middle of the manicured lawn, looking out over the sparkling aquamarine of the broad water. The tide was low and the air salty. Their mother was nowhere to be seen. 
As Rose made her way over, she looked towards the house, half expecting Jackie to jump out and accuse her of daughterly neglect. Boundaries are healthy. Isla, the eldest, stood with her shoulders back and her hands tucked into the pockets of her expensive-looking burgundy pantsuit. Her rich red locks sat twisted in a fashionable top knot and made her appear even taller than the five or eight inches she'd already been blessed with. Isla caught sight of Rose, grimaced, then gave her an air kiss on each cheek. You look like shit, she said, tactful as ever. Rose! Their sister Jess, who at 30 was the youngest of the four, beamed and threw her arms around her. Jess gave an extra squeeze and kissed her on the cheek. Did you bring the kids? I left them at home with Tom. Rose had always been jealous of Jessie's petite frame, warm golden brown skin and rich deep brown eyes. Joy and contentment oozed from her, which Rose found soothing. Jess was like a burst of sunshine that warmed you after you'd spent all day standing in the rain. Wearing pale jeans and an off-the-shoulder turquoise jumper which exposed her lacy black bra strap, Jess looked relaxed and breezy as always. Rose rolled her aching shoulders and tugged at the button of her own jeans. She couldn't wait to fit back into her pre-pregnancy clothes and longed to wear a dress that hadn't been chosen for its boob accessibility. Mel nudged Rose playfully and shaded her eyes against the lowering sun as she looked out towards the water. Glad you're here. Did you come down last night? Rose asked Mel. I told you I could have brought you today. I had the day off and Isla was in Brisbane for work yesterday so she didn't mind picking me up. Plus I wanted to see Helen and have her special stacked pancakes for breakfast. Helen was Jackie's general house manager. She'd been hired when the girls were little, initially to look after them while Jackie worked, which was all the time. In later years, Helen transitioned into an unofficial matriarch whose role was to prevent the Turner family from imploding. Is Helen inside? Rose asked, suddenly eager to run in and find her. No, she's gone home, said Jess. She left us with strict instructions to wait out here for mum. Why? There she is, said Mel, pulling out her phone. I've got to video this. What are you talking about? Rose's heart started racing and once again she considered bolting. Rose made to leave but Mel grabbed her arm. Where are you going? Clenching her hands into fists, Rose turned back and scoured the horizon. Her mother would probably arrive by speedboat or on the back of a jet ski ridden by some young ripped guy. Where the heck is she? She's not out there, said Mel, and she tilted Rosie's chin up to the pink dusk sky. Up there! Mel thrust out her arm and pointed to a tiny dot. What? Didn't you see the helipad? Sure enough, marked in the middle of an additional section on the floating pontoon was a giant painted H. You've got to be kidding. Rose flicked her eyes back up to the sky and registered the distant purr of a helicopter. The sun began to sink further and, as the sky turned a deep rich purple, a white chopper came into clear view. Why does she always have to be so dramatic? asked Rose. It's not dramatic, shouted Isla over the growing noise. It's practical. She uses the helicopter to save time. For her, it's like catching a bus. Rose sighed. Her mother hadn't been on public transport in 40 years. She'd always had a driver. But a helicopter? in her own backyard. 
This new lavish expense was just another demonstration of her love of materialistic extremes. Where was she travelling from? Surely she could have come in a car like any normal human. This was so Jackie Turner. The whirling air of the helicopter's spinning blades tugged at Rosie's blouse and whipped up her loose hair, blasting long strands into her mouth. This is so cool, said Jess, who had thrown her glossy hair into a low burn. The helicopter's engine cut, the blade slowed, and a chiselled-looking pilot climbed out. In his early thirties, and dressed in sleek black pants, a starch white shirt and a thin black tie, he looked like he'd just walked off the set of Men in Black. He walked around to open the passenger door, took Jackie's hand and helped her out. Wearing a black body-hugging dress, designer black trench coat, four-inch heels and sunglasses, Jackie stepped onto the floating helipad and gracefully made her way along the pontoon, holding onto the black silk scarf wrapped around her head. As she walked towards her daughters, she slid off her glasses and the scarf, somehow managing to leave her half-up, back-combed hairdo perfect. Jackie stood before them like Audrey Hepburn in Breakfast at Tiffany's, and then, with one hand on her hip and the other holding her sunnies and scarf, she lifted her chin and paused as if she was posing for an artist. Rose bit her lip. Does she expect us to start clapping? That was awesome, Mum. Jess rushed over and hugged her. Can you take me up in it? Of course, baby girl. But not tonight, Jackie purred. I've just come from a meeting and I need to leave for another one in an hour. How much did that set you back? Rose nodded at the helicopter, then crossed her arms. Jackie looked her up and down. Good to see you too. Rose, isn't it? Rose pursed her lips. Where's Eddie? Isla kissed Jackie's cheek. Eddie was the chief operating officer of Jackie's empire. He's gone ahead to the next meeting. Did you get the store in Perth? It'll be open for business in August. That's my girl. Nice jumpsuit. Manning cartel. Jackie surveyed her four daughters and, for a moment, Rose thought she seemed pleased they were all together again. But then Jackie frowned and strode towards the house. Let's go inside. I need a drink. Terms of Inheritance is for sale right now in paperback, ebook, and audio. And to find out more about me, you can go to my website at michelleupton.com. Thanks so much to Hayley for having me on her fabulous podcast and to you, the listeners, for tuning in. Bye for now. Well, guys, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed the episode. A big thank you to all the authors who contributed a book review and a huge thank you to Michelle Upton for popping in to tell us all about Terms of Inheritance. Now, don't forget to check the show notes for links to all the books being reviewed. Thanks for listening. And remember, when we write, we can't go wrong. Until next time, bye for now.